Love this podcast? Support this show through the supporter feature from Acast. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Sleep where? Sleep anywhere, that's what I say, whenever you can. This far into lockdown, my main daily motivation when I wake up is knowing that it's only 15 hours or so before I get to go back to bed again. And when so many of us are currently spending so much time in our PJs, or if you're an important key worker, needing some comfy ones for the scarce moments you get to wear them, British Boxers are the properly ethically sound independent shop for undies and nightwear that you'll probably also wear in the day for quite some months yet. They have everything from hipster briefs, which I assume have their own beards and cutoffs, uh, to pyjama separates in case um, your pyjamas don't get on well enough to hang out together. Okay, look, I'm clearly not an expert, but having got some of their nightwear, I promise it's well comfy. And if you make an order at british-boxers.com and use the code parpolebro 10 then you'll get 10% off anything you buy. Hey, you might accuse me of being in the pockets of big pyjama, and I would say, yes, yes I am. And it's very, very snug in here. Join me. Join me. Hello and welcome to the Partly Political Broadcast, the comedy politics podcast that you could learn to live with like you do flu, especially as it makes you feel similarly as awful for several days after getting it. I'm Tin and Duyeb, and this week, as the Prime Minister and lion's mane fungus growing on a dismembered toe, Boris Johnson, says that we must be optimistic but patient, I'm thinking, but I thought you wanted less people in hospitals, doofus. Duh. It is comforting to know that as a nation who often fears change, and no, I don't just mean because most shops won't accept cash anymore, that the British government are doing all they can to ensure that we don't have to experience that sort of dramatic life turbulence all over again. We're all settled into this lockdown lark now, so the thought of what it'll be like when you have to make conversations with people or, you know, what it's like to get dressed again, that can all be quite worrying and nerve-wracking. Which is why we need to be very thankful that just as the R-rate is falling and normal life becomes a terrifying possibility, Boris Johnson has announced that schools will almost certainly reopen on March the 8th. Oh, but there's not going to be a cautious phased return, is there? (laughs) No, no, don't worry, everyone. It's reported to be all schools all at once, as that way all children will have an equal chance of passing the virus on to relatives, regardless of their economic circumstances. Wait, wait, wait. There won't be a series of safety measures to make everyone feel reassured that this is the right thing to do, will there? (laughs) Oh, God, no. Nothing like that. And in fact, ministers are being very guarded about revealing any details of how it will work so as to keep it a fun last minute surprise for head teachers. Because, hey, who doesn't love surprises? 
And then, of course, once all the kids are back coughing on each other and staff, the government will look into how you can cough on a friend outside or while playing tennis or maybe in a pub, but not while having booze, as that might mean you get a small iota of escapism and anxiety relief while coughing all over your always disappointing Weatherspoon's breakfast. The full details won't be released till next week when Johnson reveals his roadmap to normality, which I'm concerned will just be details of how to drive down the A1M to Barnard Castle. But the Prime Minister says he's very optimistic about his plans to ease England's lockdown. You know, in the same way he was optimistic last March that coronavirus would all be over in 12 weeks, or last May that pubs and restaurants could open sooner than he originally thought, or about shops reopening last June, or about Operation Moonshot, or... Look, I'm just saying that sometimes I feel like the press use the word optimism for Johnson's mindset instead of blissful ignorance or how every time he starts getting a wobble on that things might not be okay, as long as his team stick on a playlist of his favourite nursery rhymes and give him a chocolate milk, it's all smiles again. This time, it is a cautious optimism though, and Johnson even U-turned sooner than normal in Monday's press conference by saying that actually he couldn't say for sure that this will be the last lockdown as we are battling with nature, an image that his hair depicts every time we see him. We must keep our foot to the floor, he said, which would certainly make people stay at home as it's very hard to put your shoes on without lifting up your legs. Has he finally learned his lesson that Covid won't just nod and smile at him like everyone else does? I mean, only last week he was saying Covid is a challenge that they're meeting, so maybe he meant for informal lunch lobbying sessions and discovered that the virus isn't willing to donate to the Conservative Party, so he stopped wanting to give it any benefits. To be fair, there are some very valid reasons for the PM's sort of PMA. The Covid vaccine rollout has now entered its next phase. I mean, previously it was set to kill, but now it's only on heavy stun, or possibly disrupt. More than 15 million people in the UK have had their first injection and everyone in the top four groups have had the offer of a jab. And that is actually really good news because honestly, who of us thought the government would manage it? And you can be cynical all you like, but it looks like the next most vulnerable groups will definitely get their jabs by April, especially as it's been decided that actually not as many people are as at risk if you pretend that they aren't and they can be put in even lower groups. Like asthmatics, for example. I mean, why would you prioritise them in group six when they already have breathing issues? So something like COVID will just be more of the same for them, right? Right? Health Secretary and Japanese Uber No Mask Matt Hancock said that in terms of easing restrictions, there is still some way to go. One way you could go, though, is to the UK, because it seems that even if you're arriving from one of the 33 red list countries that require you get banged up in a quarantine hotel, you can still mix with other passengers on the plane or in the airport first, which brings a whole new meaning to the term duty free. There are a lot of questions about quite how this hotel quarantine works, not least starting with why countries like the US aren't on the travel ban list, despite people handing out Rona there faster than opioids. Immigration officials have still had no guidance on what checks they should carry out on travellers, but that's just whiny, isn't it? I mean, even I know that you just say, fill in the address of where you'll be staying, and if they put Le Hotel Quarantine or in a room with a big red cross daubed on it and then hand over their credit card, you'll know where to send them. You will need a credit card too, as it's going to cost £1,750 for 10 nights stay, but the hotels themselves are only going to get 40-50% to of that, as a large chunk of the rest is going to be handed over to the ever-reliable G4S for security. Maybe the British Tourist Board are advertising trips to the UK as some sort of a -a pay-for-a-prisoner-of-war experience. I mean, with the right money, you too can be bundled into a van by security that have no understanding of safety before being trapped in an unknown location surrounded by virulent prison mates. Or maybe the government are relying on G4S to do their classic trick of not actually turning up in the first place, and so as only affluent types can afford that kind of cost anyway, they're just paying to do what they like in Britain for two weeks.
There is a 10-year jail sentence for anyone who tries to conceal journeying from a high-risk country to the UK. Even if you shout, yeah, but Botswana is nowhere near as riddled as this plague hole as you get through customs. 10 years is the same sentence you'd get for threats to kill, a non-fatal poisoning or indecent assault. Can you imagine being in prison and your inmate says, yeah, I broke a bottle in half and said I'd gut the fucker that blocked my trolley in at Sainsbury's, what about you? And you'd have to say, oh, uh, I just didn't fancy staying in a travelodge for a bit when coming back from a luxury holiday in Rio. Is it just that the government, as we've long assumed, thinks simply wanting to come to the UK from mostly non-white countries is a worse offence than armed robbery? Or do they actually think that passing on the virus is equal to a death threat? And if so, are we expecting Boris Johnson to go down for at least one million years? Because if so, I'm definitely clapping on my doorstep every single week for that. Transport Secretary and lost child no one wants to collect at the theme park, Grant Shapps, backed the terms by saying there should be tough sentencing for people who deliberately lie and mislead. And so says Michael Green. Of course, some people are less worried about people coming over here than being able to get away over there because there's nothing like a global pandemic to make you think, you know what, I'd really like to catch this virus somewhere more exotic. Don't you be thinking about booking a holiday abroad or at home for the summer yet, though. As Shap says, we don't know where we'll be by then. Well, unless you're Matt Hancock, that is. Who knows he'll be in Cornwall as that's where he's booked his family holiday already. Extra disappointing news for Cornish people there who now can't even go anywhere to escape having to see the health secretary. It doesn't really matter where you go, though. It's likely the Kent variant will be there to greet you, as top microbiologists have said it's set to sweep the world and it's already been found in over 50 countries. Finally, I've always thought Kent deserved global recognition for its transmittable germs. Isn't it nice to know that even with post-Brexit issues, Britain is still able to export something effectively? Hancock is, of course, optimistic, if that's what it is, and reckons we could learn to live with coronavirus like we do the flu. Though a better comparison might be like how we live with this government. You know, lots of people have a terrible time and many die prematurely, but we'll all keep pretending it was their own fault anyway and carry on demanding that the pubs open. Which is, of course, one of the immediate demands of the Covid Recovery Group, a horde of backbenchers who are demanding everything reopen in April because it doesn't matter how many people die when they've got nowhere to drink and shout at people they don't know about why British colonialism needs to come back because people speaking other languages in their own countries has really got out of hand. Pompous kitchen brush Steve Baker said that he wants the Prime Minister to let us reclaim our lives once and for all, which is brash from someone like him who's never appeared to have much of one in the first place and will no doubt spend all his time once lockdown is over complaining that now everyone has too much freedom. The group say they want a commitment to a free life, which is their way of saying that they're going to claim even more on expenses so they don't have to pay for it. I should be fair and point out that actually the Covid Recovery Group has said they only want all restrictions to be lifted once all the over 50s have had their jab, because that way they'll all be immune and it will solve the youth unemployment crisis by killing that generation off. We need to hear these concerns though, as while there isn't a virologist or expert who understands how viruses work among them, by broadcasting the complaints of the CRG, it helps us all feel lucky that at least we're not stuck in lockdown with one of those petulant whiny bastards and that makes it a lot easier for us. Is it that these conditions have made the most privileged seem even more callous about other people's lives, or just that we're hearing about them more as sadly there's not much other news? Because in the same week the CRG are all miffed that the virus has stopped them rubbing up against people on a crowded train in the morning, the Institute of Economic Affairs released a report saying that the NHS has been nothing special during the pandemic and there's no reason to be grateful for them. Well, I am pleased. I was so supportive of our health service that's been underfunded for over a decade, but now a think tank that won't reveal their funding and lobbied for a hard Brexit has said that actually the NHS aren't great, and so I've totally changed my mind, obviously. 
It sounds like the sort of comment they may have jealously spat out after someone asked, well, what have you ever done for anyone? Followed by them posting on Reddit about how maybe having friends is nice, but they don't need them, and how Lucy doesn't deserve them anyway, so they're perfectly happy sulking in their room. In Brexit fun times, Cabinet Minister and talking tree burl Michael Gove has said the recent trading difficulties have been like turbulence when a plane takes off and then eventually will reach cruising speed and enjoy a gin and some peanuts. That's an interesting analogy to use for exports and imports during a time when we're not allowed to travel outside of the country and there's a massive charge for anything coming here. Is it just turbulence now, Michael, or has the plane been grounded due to the company going bust? Foreign Secretary and Doesn't the Red Skull Look Unwell, Dominic Raab, said that we needed to embrace a 10-year view of Brexit because, of course, by then he won't be around to answer any difficult questions about why things are still shit. One solution to unblock trade is for an undersea tunnel between Britain and Northern Ireland, because I'm certain there are meetings where Johnson sits around doodling as everyone discusses complex trade agreements, and then he'll stand up with his crayon drawing of his Jules Verne dreamscape and shout, we will fix it with a magical underwater tunnel and the mer people will help us build it, before being ushered out of the room with the promise of a carton of juice. It is nice to have a change from incoherent ramblings about a bridge and instead have some nonsense about a tunnel that won't actually help unblock trade unless the plan is for all lorries that go through it to be covered in nighttime camouflage with their lights off like it's a scene from The Great Escape. At least with a the tunnel, there's some acceptance that all of this is just a pipe dream. Prominent Brexiteer and star of The Mummy, Baroness Kate Hoey, has been getting very upset about the issues with goods from Britain crossing the Irish Sea, claiming that no one is speaking up for Northern Ireland. Well, it might have helped if she hadn't campaigned to take their mouths shut and then kick them into the cellar. I really wish I could experience the disconnect of politicians like her, where, you know, one minute you could be driving a car into a pedestrian zone and the next blaming people for not being carproof. Or, you know, how like Mr Mean from the Mr Men, Rishi Sunak, can excitedly tweet about his first year on the job by saying that growing up he never thought he'd be Chancellor as he just wanted to be a Jedi. It is quite something to be able to watch those films and think that actually Darth Vader made all the right moves. I mean, Sunak can't even bring balance to the economy, let alone the force. So I'm very worried that the budget will mostly be money for an orbital battle station and still fuck all the excluded three million because he can't save everyone. Home Secretary and talking laceration Pretty Patel called the Black Lives Matter protest dreadful and criticised taking a knee, even though all of that happened like last summer or something, and she must have only just realised. It's not surprising that she's against any sort of call for rights, as she seems to only believe that black people do wrongs. But it is funny that last year Patel condemned violent protests, and now, when absolutely no one's really asked for her opinion on it, she's against peaceful ones as well. So is she against all protests, or are we to do mildly pushy ones where we all cheer a bit and then give someone a light shove but apologise afterwards? Patel has also pledged to bring in harsher measures for pet theft, which she has to do, otherwise she'll have even less response to her dog whistles. Across the big water, former US president and cross between a mini baby bell and a stomach ulcer, Donald Trump, was found not guilty of inciting a violent riot at the Capitol after Republicans found that when presented with an option to express even the vaguest minutiae of human decency, they just couldn't give up on tradition. The trial showed how 140 police officers were injured during the incident in January, but they didn't say how many of them were only hurt while joining in. Trump's lawyers at one point defended him by saying that actually the rioters were all anti-fa and not at all influenced by all the times Trump called for violence. Well, that's going to be a real shock to all the Proud Boys that took part and I look forward to them trying to work out how hard they should punch themselves in the face to stop the leftists. 
This means Trump, of course, can run for office again in 2024, and he released a statement saying that his political movement was just beginning. So it's nice to have an admittance that at least the last four years were just a career in playing golf and inciting violence. Lastly, there is going to be an indefinite delay into the Ford inquiry, which was commissioned to look into the leaked report of the Labour Party's complaints process and included racist conversations between party officials. Nine black Labour MPs have said they're seriously concerned by the delay and how seriously racism is dealt with within the party. Thing is, though, I'm sure leader and ventilation shaft Keir Starmer is just thinking about how best to win back voters in the party heartlands. And the Information Commissioner's Office is looking into why a government credit card was used to buy over £6,000 at Hotel Chocolat. Well, I'm certain it was human albatross Chris Grayling after being sent out to collect some important treaties. Holler at you, Parpol Brods. How are you all coping this week? What with the vague glimpse of actual warmth and, of course, Pancake Day, which I'm a huge fan of. Um, They say you are what you eat, so I'm going to have tons of pancakes in the hope I'll get a flat stomach. Yeah. Um, I'm actually worried that I've already had too many of those stacked fluffy ones, though. I will. We have got a new French bakery near us that's just opened, uh, and I've been seeing it getting built over the last few months, knowing that it wouldn't arrive till after Brexit and thinking, wow, that is what optimism is. Um, and then we ventured there last week as soon as it opened, because new things are now even more exciting uh, than they were pre-pandemic. I mean, I spent a good 30 minutes last week with my agent, sorry, daughter, staring out of the window at two men breaking some concrete paving slabs and replacing them with tarmac like it was some gripping new drama. Yeah, thanks, Rona. Thanks for putting men breaks slabs in the same league as the Sopranos Jesus fucking Christ anyway um, this French place does what I think are the best chocolate brioche I've ever had in my life um, and so now this podcast is entirely fueled by those I'm fueled by chocolate brioche I've decided that the only way to cope with stand up not being likely to return properly till next year is just to eat those brioches often as I can afford to brioches brioches brioche brioche eye anyway um, I think that might work I'm still running lots too, and I've worked out that a 50-minute run is equal to about two chocolate brioches. Brioche. So if I'm clever and keep running and keep eating brioche, um, I'll leave lockdown looking exactly the same as I went in. So that's a win, isn't it? Have you gone bonkers yet too? I've definitely, I've definitely gone bonkers now, as you can probably tell. Um, I keep talking to other stand-ups about how I'm even starting to miss like burnt, watered-down service station coffee, um, or like complaining about how there are roadworks on my only route home after a gig, or turning up and seeing the entire audience of stag dudes dressed as different inflatable genitals. <sighs> like that's the stuff. That's where we've got to. That's even the stuff that I'm missing. Um, there is still of course this show and I hope it isn't feeling like you're listening to a repeat lately as the government keep making exactly the same decisions that led us here in the first place I do just keep thinking at some point I'm going to have a week off and take an old episode and chop it up so it sounds like a new one Um, it's basically the same every week I couldn't do that to you lot, obviously. No way. Uh, you deserve better than that. But for some reason, you still listen to this podcast anyway. Hey! Um, I'm very glad you're here once again. And thanks to James and Joe for donating to the Kofi this week. And if you want to help keep me in brioche supply, brioche is supply, brioche I brochures anyway uh, you can do that at ko-fi.com forward slash parpolbro patreon.com forward slash parpolbro or the ACAST supporter button or you know just review the show or tell someone about it or maybe just do something unexpectedly nice for someone like compliment the hair on their upper lip or the particular way they say potato um, there's very little to inform you about this week apart from my brioche habit uh, one thing though is I don't know how many of you listen on Stitcher um, but if you do how do you um, it seems that the podcast overlords at Acast decided to stop sending the RSS feed to Stitcher about seven months ago just didn't tell me uh, I had no idea that this wasn't available there so I'm very sorry if that's where you used to listen and now you don't anymore I had no idea I'm trying to get it all fixed this week um, I'm going to pretend it's to do with cancel culture or something so I can get loads of TV interviews about it and really promote 
the show. Um, if there is a podcast platform that you like and this show isn't on there, please let me know and I will endeavour to get it there, even if it means I have to hand deliver it with a nice box um, with a brioche attached. Um, also, there was some problem on the website last week, which meant that Emily Kenway's episode wasn't on the website till later in the week. And I'm going to pretend it's a glitch, but I think it was me being an idiot. Anyway, all fixed now. Um, also, I mentioned last week that I'm one of the new storytellers on the children's podcast, Super Great Kids Stories. And my first one was released uh, on that last Friday. Um, if you have children, aka people but small, aka house goblins who like that sort of thing, then do give that a listen. It's very fun. Completely different to this. Absolutely no swears. And actually, nice stories that have happy endings, unlike this real life um oh and very lastly uh, very happy birthday to cat day who helps every single week with this podcast um, by typing up the linear notes for each show with every link that every guest mentions um so i can pop them all up on the website if you've looked at the website and you've seen every single note about everything that is all cat that's all her hard work and i'm hugely hugely appreciative of it um cat is a science writer and story writer uh, podcaster and much much more and if you don't already follow her on twitter at chronicle flask um do that asap and check out the suedo pod which is a horror fiction podcast that she edits so very happy birthday to you cat um right on this week's show i'm interviewing a conservative um no wait come back um, i promise i haven't gone like all of the medias because if that was true i wouldn't have to plug my kofi on account of all the sweet sweet government contracts i have for supplying audio that can't be heard or something um so look i know you might be concerned it's a bit different for this show isn't it but trust me um the chat is about brexit trade alternatives which is something that i really believe is needed right now and this week's guest uh, patrick lowline is a former trade consultant and runs a campaign that could be one of a number of viable solutions to the current mess uh, plus, there's a little bit about COVID in the workplace, uh, unless you work from home, obviously. Well, unless you work from home, but you have COVID. Oh, this is complicated. Depending on where you fall on the Brexit debate, uh, the fact is it's clear that the United Kingdom and everyone in it has definitely fallen very slowly sideways over four long years. And now we've been officially post-Brexited for over a month. We're all on our backs, unable to get up and looking like we might just curl up and die. Businesses are escaping to the continent in order to survive. We're not exporting anything to Europe except the Kent variant, which I think they wish they could put barriers up against. Amsterdam has beaten London as a top share trading centre and Northern Ireland might run out of food because we have the sort of government who thinks the Irish famine is a proud bit of our history. The European Commission's forecast suggests that thanks to the terms agreed by Boris Johnson, even though he didn't read them, the UK will be hit over the next two years by an economic blow four times more brutal than the EU. But hey, at least there'll be sovereign losses, right? While Michael Gove might insist this is all just teething problems, it's really looking like something needs to change in our trading arrangements with Europe to make sure the country doesn't become one of those retreats that rich people head to to escape the stresses of modern life, or phone reception, or eating. But what can be done? The government is still very keen to make it seem like everything is the EU's fault, so it's their own doing that we don't want to play with them anymore. You know, in the same way it's still the last Labour government's fault that 10 years of consecutive Conservative ones couldn't fix the economy, or it's your own fault if you die from Covid because you should have closed the borders to other countries yourself if you cared about it that much. If you win the competition but you don't like the prize, rather than blame everyone else for not winning, the best and most sensible thing to do would be to see if you could exchange it for something you do like. Or vouchers. I mean, it's nearly always vouchers. But of course, that would be the best and most sensible thing to do, so it's very unlikely to be anywhere on the government's top ten list of next moves, of which number one is close our eyes and hope it all just blows over. So, after speaking to Professor Kenneth Armstrong a few weeks ago, where he said that changes to our trading relationship can still be made, I wondered what solutions there are to the current situation without making absolutely everyone feel continuously let down. 
Well, this week I spoke to Patrick Lowline, a former international trade consultant and national organiser for Conservatives for a People's Vote, and he now runs the EFTA for UK campaign. Yes, Patrick is probably the first Conservative that I have ever had on this podcast. No, wait, come back, because if you listen, you'll see why he's not happy how Brexit has ended up and why he believes joining the European Free Trade Association may be one way out of this that might somehow placate all sides, which sounds, well, almost positive and hopeful, which, to be honest, I'm just not used to. I asked Patrick all about what EFTA is, what the chances of the UK government doing anything positive with our post-Brexit trade agreements are, and if the narrative of making the EU an enemy is a hurdle to any of it happening. There is a teeny bit of background noise at one point because of the joys of everyone being in lockdown, but it is very, very brief. Um, so I hope you enjoy the notion that actually there are other routes available. And here is Patrick. Hi, Patrick. Um, the first big question that I've got to ask you on this interview, um, because uh, as listeners to this show know, uh, trade policies absolutely go above my head. So firstly, what is the EFTA and how is it different to the EE? I mean, that's going to be a question that surely a lot of people ask. Uh, it is. And it's really misunderstood, surprisingly, even by politicians and Westminster don't know the difference. They're two they're totally different things. Um, EFTA, the, uh, so the European Free Trade Agreement, is a club like the EU. Yeah? Um, but it is much smaller club. Actually, Britain was one of the founding members of it. And originally, so there's, a, there's seven countries in it. Now there's only four because a lot of them went to join the EU. And uh, yeah, it was set up in the 60s as an uh, alternative to the EU, basically. Uh, but then um, when the EU developed the common market, Britain decided that it would join that common market, you know, the EU and the common market. And the common market later evolved into what we, um, well, it was later defined in the EEA agreement, the European Economic Area Agreement. So that's the difference, really. EFTA is, the, is a club like the EU is whereas the EEA is a, an agreement um, which um, some of the EFTA members are party to and all of the EU members are party to. So, so the UK could be an EFTA member without being an EEA member, without being an EU member? That's right, yes. So there, there are four countries currently in EFTA, uh, and one of them is um, Switzerland. Now, Switzerland is not in the common market. It's not in the EEA. Um, and it just has a number of bilateral agreements which put some of its sectors in the single market, which sounds very complicated, <laughs> but it's not. <laughs> right. So, I mean, already that sounds easier than things would be now. I mean, because, you know, we're, this current state of Brexit we're in uh, has seemed a lot of people seem unhappy with it. People on all sides of the argument it seems to have upset absolutely everyone across the board. I mean, how, how are you feeling about Brexit as it is at the moment? Well, it's not going very well, that's for sure. I mean, uh, I, I I thought the whole idea of Brexit was rather ridiculous, even though, you know, I'm not I'm a bit of a mild Eurosceptic, I've always have been, but um, um, the, the idea of disentangling the whole country and economy and politics and everything from a union of 40 years and all these different agreements, uh, it's, you know, it's obviously going to be really, really complicated. And also very damaging. I mean, I got involved in campaigning because um, I thought it was really a bit messed up, basically, that um, a whole lot of people who built their businesses around being in the single market suddenly um, had that all taken away from them. Um, and so now, now we're seeing it. I mean, it was branded Project Fear at the time. But um, basically, yeah, um, with 
you know, that we base, we're putting up all these barriers, which uh, Margaret Thatcher uh, originally got rid of. Yeah, which is very strange, isn't it? I, I, I sort of find that so odd that, that that was something that she campaigned for. And a lot of people who still sort of, uh, you know, who think of her very fondly are really pleased that we're getting rid of them. And I sort of think, I don't think she'd have wanted that. It's a very strange. Um, but um, what I was going to say is, you know, you started out working with a kind of stop Brexit campaign. And then you changed your mind and worked with a well. How about we do it, but a bit better than you're doing it with the with the ETA ETA for UK campaign. So, what made you change your mind? What made you kind of think rather than stopping this altogether, we just need to do this better? Well, I mean, uh, like I said, first of all, I accepted Brexit, but then when it, when uh, Theresa May decided that Britain had to leave the the, the single market and the customs union. I went, oh, this is going to be, this is nuts. This is going to be really damaging. And I went, this has to be stopped somehow. This is just a really bad idea. Uh, and um, I was actually approached by some activists uh, uh, to then set up um, a campaign, which we did, uh, to organise some marches around the country. We organised them in Brighton and Manchester and Leeds, places like that, uh, to basically protest against the whole thing. Um but I uh, quickly realised that waving flags and getting people who are passionately against Brexit to go on the streets isn't going to change anybody's opinions. And it's also, it didn't really have much of an impact. It, it mobilised the people who thought it was a bad idea, but it didn't cut through to people who didn't, you know, who were happy just to go along with it. Um, and it particularly didn't cut through with the Conservative Party. And that's why I then set up... Um, uh, the Conservatives for People's Vote campaign together with Justine Greening and Dominic Grieve and um, decided that we need to have a different kind of campaign that actually looked at um, the whole thing uh, in a, a bigger picture because the problem with Brexit was that it basically, it was undefined. So people were able to imagine whatever future, you know, they'd want for themselves. Um, so you had uh, Jeremy Corbyn dreaming of one kind of Brexit. You'd have a... Uh, the yeah the, the libertarian is wanting to have you know complete freedom and no rules at all cutting up all red tape and then you'd have some nationalists who wanted to build up walls all around Britain so you had three kind of competing visions um, within Brexit plus of course you had some more moderate Brexiteers who wanted to be just like Norway um, but um, there were all these competing visions and uh, so I said well this uh, the problem with Brexit really is that uh, you've got different people wanting different things. So we need a referendum around that. And that's what we can campaign for. So we wanted to have a, a referendum with, with at least two questions. So at least the three different options. Um, but unfortunately, our campaign did not get the same kind of traction as the main People's Vote campaign did. And they only wanted to have a rerun of 2016, which we didn't want. We wanted to actually define a Brexit outcome and then have a vote on that. And then only if that was not acceptable to the public would we have then the extremes, which would be to either stop Brexit or to go for a New Deal Brexit. I mean, it it just also seemed like that one of the big things that was missing, and I sort of realised that we're talking about this now, Brexit has happened, you know, but it still felt like one of the big things that was missing was the kind of almost middle ground view of, like you pointed out, being a Eurosceptic, but going, this will be a really big hassle to go, <laughs> to go ahead with. And, and we never really had that voice ever, I think, throughout the whole campaign and then throughout the four years of what Brexit would be. There was, there, there felt like there were very few... Uh, voices on the news that just sort of said, well, look, we're not particularly happy with EU, but we're not particularly happy with this Brexit plan either. Maybe we should do something a bit more 
sensible and on i mean it has part of the problem been and i saw you I, I can't remember who it was you retweeted the other day who i thought says something brilliant about how we need to get the politics out of this now because we need to just make it work but the, the tribalism in it has, has seemed to be some of the most damaging elements of it no, i completely agree this uh, that's this is what I thought went wrong with a bait because the, the media naturally wants to have drama. Yeah. If you're the more dramatic, you know, the guests on your show are, the more exciting it will be, the more people watch it and talk about it. Um, so I think the media naturally does not like moderate, um, you know, it's, and, and for moderate people, it's also not, you know, um, let's all have a compromise. It's not the kind of thing you're going to stand outside parliament and wave your flag shouting, oh, let's have a compromise, everybody. It doesn't really <laughs> kind of, you know, it doesn't uh, grab the emotions in the way that um, the for or against uh, the, you know, the whole thing, um, that kind of position is. So um, I think that's, you know, it's, it's unintentional. I mean, there were those voices and there still are those voices. It is just, they're not very exciting. You know, it's this, let's be moderate. Let's have a compromise. It's not going to get lots of passionate, heated engagement from everybody because it's a bit boring, basically. It's just a bit, just too nice and normal. Um, so I think that's a part of the problem. And uh, yeah, no, actually that's why, um, but I did discover those people who existed when I ran the Conservatives for People's Vote campaign because a number of um, EFTA leavers, so leavers who wanted to be like Norway or like Switzerland, they began to support our campaign when it looked like we were going to get a very, very hard Brexit. And so after Brexit happened, they basically contacted me and asked me to um, if I wanted to take over the running of the campaign, which I then uh, thought about and agreed to do because... Um, uh, even though people say, oh, it's all too late to do anything now, it's not. Um, I'd studied the um, the, withdrawal, the withdrawal agreement, of course, I did study that as well, but I, I've studied the trade and cooperation agreement, and I've discussed it with lots of experts, and there are ways we can work with it. it I mean, it's like a really solid backbone, a very solid framework, but it's not got much meat on it. Um, so it, need lots of, it needs lots of additional deals to complement it, and it could potentially be turned into, you know, something that actually brings us back into the single market. So what are the, I mean, is, is there interest at government level for an EFTA agreement? And I suppose also, importantly, would EFTA have us? <laughs> would, would they take us in after, after seeing the past few years or are they, would they be less keen? Well, I mean, the two good questions there. So let me take them one by one. I mean, is there interest uh, in a government level? Is there interest among politicians? Well, at the moment, the situation is most politicians are like the public. They're sick of Brexit. They just don't want to hear about it anymore. They want it to go away. So they don't really want to talk about it, uh, but they do want to make it work. Um, and um, and there are people in all parties, uh, in the Conservative Party, in the Labour Party, and in the other parties who have been uh, increasingly um, become increasingly interested in EFTA as a model. And we're talking about three different kinds of models here. So one is to be in EFTA itself. Uh, like I said, you know, there's a different thing uh, between Norway and Switzerland. Uh, Switzerland is just an EFTA member and has these bilateral deals. Whereas Norway is also in EFTA and the single market, the EEA. So these are two different options we have. And of course, both of them, I mean, um, both of them would require being admitted to that club. So, um, and the way it works is basically, you know, the government will have to decide, oh, well, yes, we do want to join that club. Uh, and it's just up to the government. They could do it any time they wanted to. So as to the question of whether the UK would be allowed 
into EFTA. Now, that's up to the four countries or members, Iceland, Norway, Switzerland and Liechtenstein. Uh, they would have to decide whether they want the UK back or not. Now, there have been, um, over the years, there have been a number of statements by those countries, some positive. Uh, the Swiss, in general, are very interested in having the UK join. The Norwegians, less so. The um, Iceland was very sympathetic. Um, Liechtenstein thinks that it's the, the UK is a very, very big country. But then if you're Liechtenstein, then you would think that. country. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so it's it's unclear. I mean, there is a famous article by a, 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 a yeah by a Norwegian politician Heidi Lund, which uh, always gets thrown at me on Twitter uh, and the whole campaign. It always gets re- recycled this article again and again, and it was basically a statement she made saying that you know Norway wouldn't let um, uh, Britain join. Um, but um, what people don't ever throw at me is that uh, four days later she basically came up with a different story and said well actually we would let Britain join um, <laughs> uh, but only under specific circumstances and we wouldn't want um, and she was quite um, uh, quite interesting in the language to be honest with you. she was saying what did was what what did she say um, she said we wouldn't want Britain as a rebound partner we would want Britain to make a permanent bed with us <laughs> so, um, and I and I think that's kind of nicely graphic, but um, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. That's, that's what it was. And uh, funny enough, the uh, the Prime Minister of Norway actually made similar statements as well, which are also quite positive. That basically, under certain terms and conditions, they would consider Britain to join. And there is a statement on the EFTA website you can look up, which actually says you know that uh, they would consider Britain joining. So is is part of the the, the sort of way that this might happen? kind of, I suppose, to let things die down a bit in, in terms of the kind of, uh, you know, the anger that people would have at joining another union. <laughs> well, it's obviously not the European Union, but joining another European-based union. Um, do do you, we have to sort of let that die down a bit and let the sort of effects of Brexit come through first? Or is this something that, that can be pushed for right now before all that's passed over a little bit? I think that it's got the word European in it, and that's not a very attractive word in the uh, current political climate. I completely agree with that. But then I think the big problem is that people just don't understand what it is, uh, because EFTA literally is the club of countries that do not want to be in the EU. That's why these countries have this club, because they don't want to be in the EU. They're, they're, they're geographically in Europe. That's why they got European in the name. But they are the ones who don't want to be in the EU. So um, I think it's the natural home for Britain to basically, you know, team up with those countries it makes sense uh, and it perfectly fits with fits with the whole brexit message oh sure it is sort of my worry i think because we had the, they had the thing the other weekend of the near invocation of article 16 by the eu commission and there was all that big you know uh the the vaccine concerns and and of course we had the instant thing of um we had uh remainers kind of going well you know why wouldn't they do that and we had rexiteers going what's well, typically you wanting to take away the vaccines and, and it just flared everything up against us and i i sort of wondered if are you concerned that sort of if that keeps happening, that that might hamper something like a, an EFTA campaign? And, and that's why I wonder, do we have to almost get past that? Politi- I, I mean, I don't know if that just takes time or do we have to do we have to get bored of it even more so that we're not complaining about things like that? Well, I think that the debate is certainly unhelpful. The way that um, you've got the yeah the hard Brexiteers and the hard Remainers constantly uh, fighting each other, and I think that that stops sensible voices cutting through 
But on that specific issue of uh, you know, the vaccines, for example, I mean, that's how the EU operates. The, the European Commission, you know, is this agency. It's a super, the EU is supranational, whereas EFTA is not. EFTA is just a club of countries. It is intergovernmental. So you wouldn't have a joint vaccine buying. There is no joint vaccine buying program between the EFTA countries. So these are issues that exist on the EU level, but it's not the kind of thing that would exist with an EFTA because it's literally... Uh, it's, it's a government sitting around a table. They don't, have a, they don't have the equivalent of the EU Commission. Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ. Invesco QQQ is proud to sponsor this episode and even prouder to provide access to innovation for the last 25 years. Basketball has had innovations over the years, too. We're seeing the game played in new ways every day. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. And we'll be back with Patrick in a minute. But first, the funny thing about COVID, as we know, is that schools are completely safe from it um, unless people are in them. And it seems that similarly, workplaces are also immune to all COVID activity, apart from all the workers who work there who selfishly aren't. Ugh, them germs are so tricksy. There have been 3,549 outbreaks at workplaces since the pandemic began. And that's in all kind of workplaces too, as it turns out coronavirus isn't picky about what you do for a living. And in some ways, it's just another example about how we all need to be more like COVID in respecting people's career choices. As you're probably unsurprised to hear, what with the government doing everything they can to minimise harm, the government body of health and safety executive hasn't shut down a single workplace that's put employees at risk, and not a single employer has been prosecuted for safety failings since last March. But hey, it must be tricky when the Prime Minister promised to put his arm around every worker, so there's every chance he's just been passing it round all by himself. So aside from hoping part of the country's economy can be boosted by an all-British follow-up to the Horrible Bosses films, there are a number of reasons why HSE don't seem all that bothered about the H and the S in their name right now. The first is that the HSE haven't put COVID in their highest risk category of serious, a decision that the government have backed. Why isn't COVID serious when it shut down the country and killed over 120,000 people? Well, according to Employment Minister, and the sort of person who looks like she tells everyone she's a right laugh but never, ever is, Mims Davis, is because the effects of Rona are non-permanent or reversible, non-progressive and any disability is temporary. Yes, absolutely, Mims. I mean, just how long is long COVID anyway? It can't be more than 200 years. And I mean, if you die from coronavirus, it's only for a short while, isn't it? And then you're back to work like nothing's happened. 
Hence, according to HSE, COVID is just in the significant risk category, which makes it harder for employment inspectors to prioritise it over the serious ones, which I assume must be when someone releases Terrigen mist onto the second floor or Triffids invade your building site or something like that. In fact, HSE inspectors have been told that because COVID is only a significant risk, they mustn't stop any workplace where workers are at risk, and only that if the inspectors themselves don't feel comfortable being somewhere, then they can leave. It's basically saying, I'm sorry if you don't feel that other people aren't safe. That sort of thing. So that means that even though HSE have received over 25,000 complaints from workers just in January alone, they can't really do that much about it. For the workers, they can't just leave if they aren't happy with it either as they'll lose their job and currently 70% of requests for the £500 self-isolation payment for those who can't work from home have been rejected. But the government have been insistent on people only working from home if they can and even if you're infectious but can't get any money from your coach then you're still going to have to pop by the office to share your games with all your colleagues, team spirit and all that. What makes all of this harder is that even though former business secretary and Minecraft character Alok Sharma made £14 million available to HSE last spring to hire staff for the call centre and inspections, there have been over £100 million of cuts to the government body over the last 10 years. Exactly the same face upside down as Shadow Employment Rights and Protection Secretary Andy MacDonald has been calling for a review of the classification of Covid, but even if that happens, which it needs to, the staff aren't going to be there to manage it. So, very sadly, if you're a worker stuck somewhere that doesn't care about your health and safety, the only reason the government are going to pop an arm around you is to get you into a headlock and shove you back to work. And now, back to Patrick. And would it, I mean, would it solve issues, uh, you know, like trades, trade with with European... I mean, how how much would an EFTA change some of the problems that we're seeing now? Because we had a big report last week about 68% of exports to the EU now have, have... scrapped and there's big concerns obviously that when um you know when when covid finally goes away and exports kind of start up again that it's actually be more than that how much would would have to change that how much would it fix things for our current situation basically i have to be really honest and uh, and it's very important for people to aware about this efta would not change much with the eu at all in a direct way all it would be is Britain is part of that club. It could still have the current deal with the EU. That could still carry on. No, but it would be then it would sort things out with um, directly with the other EFTA countries. Um, but um, and it wouldn't bring us back into the single market. It wouldn't bring us back into any customs union. In fact, being member of um, EFTA would actually prevent us from rejoining the customs union because that's one of their um, conditional conditions. Is because they have the freedom to make their own trade deals, which is one of the big demands of Brexit. So, um, and to do that, you cannot be in the EU customs union. Um, but it would help, though, indirectly in our dealings with the EU, is that the EU would finally see, oh, Britain's getting more normal now. Oh, it's behaving like Norway and Switzerland. We understand Norway and Switzerland, so it would help us get back to a friendly relationship. Uh, even though they have lots of fighting, I mean, there's uh, the the uh, well, the anti-EU lobby in Switzerland is just as fierce as the anti-EU lobby here. Um, but uh, for the EU, they would see okay, they would know where to put Britain because at the moment it's just they just don't know what's going on really with Britain. So um, I think that's uh, it would help stabilise the relations with the EU. And then, of course, it would also be a building, a stepping stone to rejoin the single market if we wanted to do that afterwards. Because to be in the common market, you have to be in either EFTA or the EU. 
So um, it and if that happens, of course, then most of the problems that we're seeing right now with Brexit would be solved. Uh, all these things about the, the sanitary and phytosanitary standards. Oh, my God, that's a horrible word. Um, but it's being so used so often at the moment. But, you know, it's about, you know, moving basically the the. Um, the uh, controls on uh, fresh produce on seafood on farm you know on the seeding potatoes all these kind of things we have in northern ireland and across the channel they would disappear a lot of these regulatory problems would disappear around the customs side and you'd still have um, some customs checks but it would be much easier and a lot of the issues with around northern ireland would disappear so it would actually fix a lot of problems with brexit if we then rejoined the ea later I mean, that's it's, I, I'm just always amazed that people don't want an easier life. I, just, I always think surely that's what you want to you would like is for all these things to get a little bit easier. Um, I mean, I wonder as well how sort of hopeful it makes you that the UK is requested to join the um, and I'm going to give the acronym. I can never remember the full uh, the full title for this, but the CPTPP, which is the it's the Trans Pacific Partnership, isn't it? I can't remember what the C and the P stand for. Um, but sort of requests to join those sorts of trade groups is that hopeful? You know, do you sort of feel like with the EU having lots of deals from those those countries already, would that kind of help or hinder an an EFTA agreement or or help and hinder kind of future trade relationships with other countries? Is is it something that you kind of look at and think this is a good move? Well, I, I, there is, first of all, there is no conflict between joining CPTPP, uh, which I always get wrong as well, and um, EFTA. <laughs> it's a lot, a lot of P's, isn't it? <laughs> or, or even the EEA. And it's, it's actually um, the, the recommendation to join CPTPP was actually made by the... Um, Institute for Free Trade, and um, which was a pro-Brexit organization. And they did a paper um, where uh, in 2018, uh, at which time we didn't know what Brexit would be like. And so they looked at the different kind of Brexit options and saying, well, you know, would it be possible to join the, the CPP if we, we basically, um, if we... Um, if we were in the single market, uh, if we were in the customs union, if we were, if we had no deal, and in all three scenarios, it actually said there aren't any real, there aren't any insurmountable barriers. It, it is compatible, um, but um, I mean, if somebody's worked in trade and and actually worked in Asia in trade for for a lot of my life. I spent two two decades in Asia, and I'm uh, and I literally worked on trade deals there. So um, I, I know. You know the region well, um, and I also know, you know, the kind of products we can export there, the kind of services we can export there. I know a bit about, you know, about some of the trade deals we have already. I don't think that CPTPP actually adds that much to what we already have. I think it's a great move. I support it, but there's also no conflict with um, being in our, you know, in our in some of the trade clubs in our local in our region which matters for a lot of businesses who can't, you know, they, for reasons of geography, they can't go and sell their, you know, services to Asia. I mean, you can't drive your van to Asia, for example, you know, it's like, um, well, you can't, Take a long you know, time, yeah. <laughs> there's a lot of things. It's just too far. I mean, for certain businesses, it's just too far away. And so it makes sense, you know, um, and also on the agricultural side, especially, and, and you know, fresh foods it makes sense to be doing that you know trading with countries in your neighborhood uh you know and in asia they've got asean that's the big club you know really and so um, all these kind of things they are they do trade regionally as well with each other and um that's the majority of all we all trade is always going to be like that 
Um, but yeah, I think it's good. Um, support it. Yeah. Yeah. And I suppose, like you say, you know, with, with all these things, if it makes, the, you know, our, our trading status less volatile, if it looks like we're willing to trade with people <laughs> as opposed to sort of, you know, create enemies with them, I think that's a, a, probably a good outlook f- uh, for anyone that would be willing to trade with us in the future. No, I completely agree. I, I mean, I think that Britain should be open, you know, uh, trading and um, having freedom of movement of all countries, you know, who are basically westernized or liberal democracies uh, of a roughly the same kind of income level. You know, why do we need barriers between such countries? We've all got high standards, you know, um, and why have any bureaucracy in between them? I'm quite pro-free trade in all of that, you know, that regard. Um, and so I suppose the very big question and the important question for your campaign in particular is, is you know, you've, you've said that there, there, there are politicians that are, that are interested uh, in EFTA and there there is sort of movement towards this going ahead at some point. But what can listeners do if it's something they're actively keen on happening and if, if they want to kind of help push the campaign? And are there specific people that we should be kind of targeting with this? Because as, as we've brought up many times, but the, the language is still very Brexit and nothing to do with any, you know, anyway. So what what can we do to kind of change that? Well, I, I mean, it, it'll take some time. Uh, it's like I was pointed out earlier, it's most politicians are really sick of actually getting bombarded on Twitter by people from both sides. I mean, it is uh, it's an awful place to be when you've just bombarded all day long. It's not something we're not advocating as a campaign. No. We, we, we think it's naturally going to happen. It will happen. The only question is when. We will end up with one of a few different scenarios and the, the question is when will it happen and how can we move, make that move along quicker? Now, I think the most important thing that people should do is actually inform themselves first, because people don't really understand. It's like you, the first question you ask, what's the difference of the, between the EEA and EFTA? And so that's the first thing that people should do is really make sure that they're, you know, when they see opinion about this, that they, you know, at least aware of what the differences are. Uh, and then, and try and just have gentler debates. This is what I really want to see. I mean, shouting it at each other has never been, you know, the most effective means of persuading anybody to get on side. And it's actually also really important to listen to others. It's just because some people see the world differently. You know, I, some people voted for Brexit. Some people voted for Remain. I mean, most people just want the best thing for this country. And okay, we've got differences of opinion. People on the left and the right have got differences of opinion. Um, but most people just want the best. And it's and I think you can, can find common ground with everybody somewhere. And I, so I'd, I'd rather have than people, you know, bombarding MPs and saying, oh, you must join EFTA. Please don't do that. I'd rather, you know, try and not argue, encourage people not to argue with others, but listen to them and try and actually find a commonality with them. I mean, we've been having workshops around this for the EFTA for UK campaign where we bring oh, yeah. leavers and remainers together. And um, that's been really interesting. And, and people talk about why they voted the way they did in 2016 and what it meant for them personally, emotionally, all these kind of things. And it's been surprising how well everybody's been able to get on when you're actually face to face talking to each other rather than hiding behind a screen and a f- probably a pseudonym or something like that and doesn't flags and so on and a few hashtags, you know, um, when people, people meet face to face, then, uh, you know, you can have a much gentler conversation. And um, I think it's also really important to reach out to those friends and family members that you may have fallen out with since 2016 and uh, try and have a chat with them and just see, well, we are where we are. 
we, you know, we can't go back into the EU, firstly, because the EU doesn't want Britain back. You know, they're pretty sick of Britain. Um, Brexit's cost them, you know, a lot of time. Um, and so it's, you know, we have to make the best of it. I mean, the Remainers have to admit that, and Brexiteers have to admit that, well, Brexit meant change, and change means a lot of upheaval, and that means, you know, we have to work at it. So um, let's just listen to each other and try and find a way through. That's very sensible advice. Yeah, definitely. I, I think, I mean, do, do you feel, I, I sort of get the feeling and, and I, 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 you know, I, I'm always loath to kind of be one of those, uh, you know, laughing, you know, going, ha ha, I told you so, or things, you know, Project Fear has come true. I, I don't like that attitude, but but I do sort of feel like people are changing their minds now that they're seeing what's happening. And I wonder if there is going to be a, a, just a, at least a drive just to to make it easier. Do you get that feeling as well? I do too. I mean, there's also been polling on that, um, and it shows that people think, you know, not, most people now think that Brexit was a bad idea, but most people also don't want to reverse it. Um, so they wouldn't, you know, um, people do want to make the best of it. And um, that's where the pressure is now. And um, the problem is, though, that we're seeing all these different groups now just pressure for what they themselves want. So you've got um, most famously, obviously, the musicians, they've been in news, news a lot. They want to have, um, you know, better, you know, they, they want to have a better visa conditions. They want to be able to tour Europe and they, you know, and um, they want to minimise, you know, the the, uh, the carnage, which is, you know, technical word, let's avoid that, you know, but the paperwork they have to have to bring in their um, musical equipment into some countries. So they want to be able to tour. Um, but then you've got each... Um, industry is basically lobbying the government wanting to have special privileges the, the fishermen are now wanting to be compensated for basically especially the the you know the seafood the mollusks you know the, the, the ones that catch mussels and you know that kind of thing and the crabs and so on they want to be compensated and they will be compensated but you know this this can't happen for every industry because we can't afford it as a country so um one thing I'd like to encourage people to do is actually look look at something that doesn't affect you directly and learn a bit about that, you know, and uh, try and think, well, how can we make it better for them? And then if everybody were doing that, looking rather than just beyond their own immediate, immediate self-interest of what other people in the country need, then maybe we can actually get to a place where we can have a greater understanding and a more sensible political debate as well. That'd be nice, wouldn't it? Wouldn't that be nice? <laughs> well, thank you so That's much. All for... That's all I dream of. <laughs> well, thank you so much for coming on the podcast, Patrick. I really appreciate it. And I, the, the one question that I ask all uh, the guests that we have on this show, um, with the hope of just furthering good information, uh, is that apart from yourself, um, obviously, and the EFTA campaign, um, who else would you recommend that listeners follow or read up on or, um, you know, which websites to visit all about either trading relationships, um, the future of it with, with the UK or, just um, any sort of post-Brexit potential agreements uh, or anything like that? Who, who do you go to for information? Oh, well, I'd actually go back to my last point, which is that um, uh, the business associations or the business lobbies, you know, um, have a look at and see what the... Um, the Society of Musicians does all of these kind of groups and follow follow at least one business association, ideally more, and see what they're talking about. So the Logistics UK, for example, all these kind of groups, the Road Haulage Association, um, the Institute of Export. There's all these different kind of groups or, and, you know, or, and follow some experts. They're not going to follow you back, but it's not, you know, Twitter shouldn't be about getting collecting followers. It should be about informing yourself and getting the right debate out there. I mean, one of the things that disappoints me most is, 
that there have been a number of stars, you know, on both sides of the debate have been born through Twitter, who, who are knowledgeable in one area, but because they become Twitter stars, they feel obliged to basically comment on everything now, and sometimes what they say is not, not correct. So uh, just follow some experts. The kind of people who are interviewed in the, um, in the parliamentary committees, they're the very good people. They're the best people to follow. They, they, that's the ones, they're the ones who MPs ask for advice, so they are the ones uh, that people should follow, really. Thanks to Patrick for having time to chat. Uh, you can find him on Twitter at Patrick Lowline, L-O-H-L-E-I-N. And the EFTA for UK campaign can be found at EFTA for UK on Twitter and Facebook or the website EFTA for UK.online. Thank you tons to Tim as well for putting me in touch with Patrick too. Who else should I get on this podcast? I'm aware there's tons of political issues. Uh, I've not even had on once during this show's five-year history. And there's also some that I've had to have on loads because they're constantly a big issue. And there's some you're probably sick of and wish could just be shot into the sun. Um, what are all of those? Who should I talk to about them? Why don't I just stop being lazy and Google them myself? Okay, hey now, no need to be rude. You can, of course, send me any of that information or insults about me outsourcing my guest finding to you for free, like it's some sort of big society plan or something, to at Parpolbro on Twitter, the Partly Political Broadcast group on Facebook, the contact page at partlypoliticalbroadcast.co.uk or email me at partlypoliticalbroadcast at gmail.com. Or you could just tell it to Amanda Holden and she'd probably drive all the way here to pass the message on without even thinking twice or once. As always, it's probably just best to email, isn't it? And that's it yet again for another episode of the Partly Political Broadcast Podcast. Muchos gracias for persevering with this show, even though you could be doing other things with your time, like trying to count all of the bricks ever, or working out just how you spell the word cash, short for casual. No, it's not C-A-S-H, that's cash. Does it end in a J, or is there a silent letter? No one knows, absolutely no one knows. Yeah, it's really annoying, isn't it? Someone pointed that out to me in 2010, and it still bothers me on a really regular basis. Cash. It's, oh, it's so annoying. Anyway, you're welcome. Uh, if you have enjoyed the show, or you just need almost anything else to do in the world other than think about how you spell cash, then why not recommend this podcast to your trusted compadres, and then even go so far as to give it a shiny five stars on whichever podcast app you use, which will soon include Stitcher when I get that fixed. And should you wish to push the boat out so far that it will float off and seek new, less COVID-covered land, then why not also do to the Kofi Patreon or ACAST supporter sites. Yes, why not? To supply me and brioche. Oh, really? Is that why? Okay, I suppose that's a valid reason. Yeah, fair enough. Muchos gracias too to ACAST, apart from the Stitcher thing, as that is, I mean, it's really annoying. Uh, and also my brother, the last skeptic for musics, Cat Day for linear liner note typing, and Katie Coxall for arty times. This will be back next week when Boris Johnson reveals that his roadmap to normality is just a line that he drew with normality written at the end of it, all in capital letters with a crayon, before rolling a toy car along the paper and announcing it's all fixed now so you can go back to work and school. Bye! This week's show was sponsored by British Ransom, a new exciting holiday experience for the VIP clientele. Sick of relaxing by a pool? Wish you were anywhere but having cocktails at a really expensive bar. British Ransom is for you. For the price of your flight to Burundi or Angola and then your flight to the UK and then £1,750 on top, you'll be collected at the airport by top-level G4S security who will whisk you away on a variety of exciting possibilities. Will you make it to your hotel prison locked away for 10 days with only mediocre Wi-Fi or more if you actually pay for the upgrade? But really, who actually 
ever does that. Or will you get the one-on-one where you're chained to a guard for eight days and have a heart attack? Or you might get the authentic British experience of being indoctrinated into cheap labour for £1 an hour. Maybe you'll get info about an Iranian general, racist abuse shouted at you, or simply be left to die and then have an electronic tag put on your ankle after. Or better still, maybe no one will turn up at all and the army will have to step in. British Ransom, a true, exciting holiday experience. You pay for the best, but you get the same people who fuck things up year after year for the true, sovereign experience. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavourless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well... HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.